What's up, Foul Life Nation? Hope you all are enjoying your duck goose season so far. I hope that everybody is being safe out there. The weather has turned for the better in most parts of the country, all of the flyways. We've been experiencing some unbelievable hunts. We had to skip Texas because it got up to almost 85 degrees at Christmas time. That's not cool. So we uh, went straight to Oklahoma and had some unbelievable Lesser Canada goose hunts, mallard duck hunts, water hunts, bean field hunts, corn field hunts, wheat field hunts. Awesome experience down there again with Flatline Outfitters. Then we headed up to Wyo-Braska Outfitters on the Wyoming-Nebraska line, and it has been amazing mainly because we've been joined by some awesome guests, met a bunch of new friends, got to hook up with some friends that we've known for the past few years because of the Mallard Duck and the Canada Goose. This network has been amazing to us, and that's what I love about traveling and coming to these different places. So you're listening to another episode of the Foul Life Podcast, Safari Club International, SCI's Foul Thoughts, brought to you by our friends and family. First for Hunters, Safari Club International. Thank you for everything SCI does behind the scenes on a daily basis. We tend to take things for granted as hunters. We know that we can get up, put our dog in the kennel, hook our boat up, hook our trailer up, put our decoys out, get in the blind, call it the ducks as the sun comes up, call it the geese as the sun goes down, decoy them, shoot them right where you want them, cook them, serve that bounty to friends and family. But I'm telling you that there is a lot of people that want to see this lifestyle go away. And that is what, our friends at SCI are doing lobbying all everything that they do with advocacy, their national convention, their recruitment, their all of the signups that they are doing for new members right now, become a life member, become a member of Safari club international because they need our help in making sure that they can go to work every day on Capitol Hill in Washington, DC, plus the state capitals all around our country and around the world to fight for hunters rights, putting hunters first and not just the dangerous five or going to Africa because a lot of people equate safari with Africa. Safari is an experience. So you could be a squirrel hunter in Alabama, a duck hunter in Arkansas, a mountain lion hunter in Nevada, Idaho, a sheep hunter in the great Northwest territories. It doesn't matter what you do. If you're a hunter, you need to be a member of SCI. If you're a shooter, you need to be a member of the NRA, the National Rifle Association, to protect our Second Amendment. But right now, there's never been a more important time to fight for hunters' rights. It is a privilege to hunt, but it is our right to hunt. It says it in the Bible, and it is not going to be taken away from us if hunters have anything to do with it. But we cannot sit on the couch and be idle and just watch the world go by and think that our hunting heritage is going to be protected. It's because of Safari Club International and many conservation organizations around the country fighting for hunters rights on a daily basis and my two guests today are life members of safari club international they've hunted around the world they're in the boone and crockett hall of fame they're they've one of our guests has hunted in 37 freaking countries this is an amazing lifestyle to be a hunter to be able to wake up in america and go hunt get on a plane and go to argentina and hunt doves and ducks and geese and Magellan geese at that, the be- one of the most beautiful geese on the planet. You can hunt so many different varieties of wildlife all over this world. And it's because of people that pay their dues and set the trend like Safari Club International members, John LaMonaco and Les Nesbitt. Les, how are you, my man? I'm just fine, Chad. Are you a member of SCI? I have been a life member of, of SCI for I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years. It's been a long time. John LaMonaco, welcome, my man. You're a member of SCI. Yes, sir. 
how long have you been a member? Well, I think uh, when C.J. McElroy uh, was the first president of SCI was somewhere around 1967 uh, or 68. So you can do the math there. And it's uh, been a lot of years. And uh, I think it's been a, a real stimulation to hunters all over the world. And it certainly has put me in touch with a lot of uh, wonderful guys that uh, have uh, enjoyed the same passion that has consumed me. I love hearing that. One of the things, you know, Les and I have got to do over the years is Safari Club International's convention, their national convention, has been in our backyard of Reno, Nevada quite a few times. It's in Vegas now, and it's going to be moving across the country in places like Nashville and Louisville and New Orleans in the next few years. But the convention is strong. You're talking 800 to 1,000 outfitters and different, you know, people that are displaying their company and their booths. You're talking public figures that are giving speeches in political realms, entertainment realms. This year, they're going to have Larry the Cable Guy. They're going to have Donald Trump Jr. They're going to have several different speakers throughout the entire convention. Have you been to several yourself, John? Uh, yes, I have been to uh, several conventions and for a while. Uh, that was really... Uh, uh, a wonderful uh, uh, challenge for me to meet outfitters, guides, organizers from all over the world. And uh, it's a very educational experience to go to the convention. It isn't just a party time. Uh, you're going to be exposed to uh, uh, hunting at its highest level. And I've always enjoyed the opportunity to connect the names and the faces and over the years uh, I've made a lot of wonderful friends all of whom share the same passions that we all love in the hunting world. Les you've had some of these experiences at the convention as well. I have I have I'm probably not near as many as John but um, there's a lot of things you can do there's seminars you can learn things uh, uh, everybody is so willing if you have a particular species of animal that you may want to hunt, you can find out different outfitters from other hunters. You can talk to them, get their experience from maybe uh, a different outfitters they may have been with and what would suit you the best, be it a horseback or a backpack or whatever it may be. There's all the information you need to know about hunting and all aspects of hunting. And it seems to be opening up a little more to the to the waterfowl and the upland game and the, and the more local type hunting than it was 20, 30 years ago. It was recognized more, I think more as John can answer best to this, but as maybe more of an African uh, uh, international thing than it is at today seems to be a lot of local input. Do you think that's fair to say, John LaMonaco, that, you know, back when I was in my 20s and you'd hear the SCI convention was coming to town, I always had the mindset, well, man, I'm never going to go to Africa. Do you think that a lot of people had that mindset? Well, not today, but I agree with Wes's statement. In the formative years of SCI, uh, uh, I just recall that it set lofty goals. And I thought, because I've been interested in this all my life, that, uh, gee, someday wouldn't it be great to have a trophy room? Wouldn't it be great to go to Kenya or Zimbabwe or South Africa, that would really be an experience. 
And we have to face up to the fact that uh, hunting, particularly today, is a, is a very expensive uh, outfit. And uh, people early on just looked at it from a distance. Well, maybe someday I can make it. And if you think about anything long enough and hard enough, and if you want it, you can make it happen. And I know I did that on my first safari. Uh, I said, well, I know I can get over there. And it was really an economic issue for me to take that giant step to go to Africa. And of course, it was a very, very worthwhile experience that I'll treasure all my life. And some of the uh, uh, professional white hunters that I became acquainted with have gone down in uh, hunting history. But uh, over a period of years, again, uh, Wes covered that item. Uh, uh, the total scope of the objectives changed rather dramatically. Conservation and conservation practices became a big part of SCI. And we know that if we uh, kill the goose that lays the golden egg, we're going to have some problems. And I think SCI has dramatically shown over a period of years uh, that they know what's hurting game and they're doing everything they can to support organizations that want to protect this wonderful heritage. But the transition period just automatically flew into other phases of hunting besides Africa, I think. Uh, sheep hunting, per se, is a uh, classic example of that. Uh, I remember when I was a, a lad, I just couldn't fathom that someone would go out and uh, have a, uh, a grand slam of wild sheep. And I probably could still name some of the people that were really strong in sheep hunting. And then, all of a sudden, uh, uh, Big game hunting, particularly in mid-Asia, uh, primarily places like uh, Mongolia, Iran, Kyrgyzstan, uh, the Swiss Alps, Austria, they became famous for big game and that classification, mostly mountain game. So here we had Africa as a base and then international sheep hunting got to be a very popular thing and is still extremely popular today. Then conservation became a must for focus. So these stepping stones, if you will, uh, have all made uh, SCI a wonderful and a powerful organization. He's, <clears throat> he's touched on some things there, Les, that you've had experience with, with the sheep, you're in the Hall of Fame for the North American 29. You've harvested all the species of big game in the continental, or the pretty much all in North America. Yes, yes. So that's Canada, that's Northwest Mexico, Territories, yeah. that's all, you know, all of America, including Alaska. Um, in today's, in, in your, as far as your membership goes today, and your interest in Safari Club International, because you said many times you're going to get on a plane and go down to the convention this year in Vegas, which happens in a couple of weeks. You have a huge passion for waterfowl hunting. 
I do. You, I do. You, I always have. You've had, you've been up here in, in <clears throat> Wyoming, Nebraska line with Wild Nebraska Outfitters this last three or four days. When you sit back in that blind and you take it all in, the sunrise, the mountains, the cornfields, the Platte River, the amount of geese in the area, the amount of ducks in the area, you can't argue conservation works. No. You can't argue the sweat equity and the financial means that hunters put into this, making the hunter the ultimate conservationist, no doubt. What does it do at this stage in your hunting career to know that you've supported this organization called safari club international and to see the fruits of your labor and this is a duck and a goose this isn't a zebra this isn't an elephant this isn't a lion this isn't a polar bear this isn't a grizzly bear this is a duck and a goose a lot of people are like it's a duck and a goose but safari club has the means and they are working behind the scenes daily to make sure that we get to wake up and see what we've experienced up here at wild brasca talk to me a little bit about that well you know as you guys were talking, one of the things I was thinking about, Safari Club has a, has a lot of influence in the hunting world right now. But what can happen, if you look at, uh, at the uh, National Rifle Association, they've taken a lot of punishment politically. And without, without people back in Safari Club, what, what's partially happened to the NRA can happen to Safari Club. Uh, so people have to, they have to, support them. Uh, but as you being up here hunting ducks, you know, I haven't done it quite as long as John, but I've done it a fairly good amount of time. And it's not the shooting of the duck. I set out there, sometimes I'd shoot, sometimes I didn't. And I enjoyed the people I was with. I enjoyed the dog work and just the whole terrain where we were at. And to me, that's the experience. Now, when I was maybe 25 years old, I wanted to kill a limit no matter what it took. But now I just, I enjoy the people I'm with. I, I, I have obviously, like everybody has heard of John over the years as a big game hunter. Uh, and I had the opportunity to meet him and, and realize, uh, yeah, he does, has killed a lot of big game, but he's not on this giant pedestal. He's just another hunter like the rest of us. He enjoys hunting ducks probably just as much as he did going over to Russia or wherever else he went. Uh, and that's just the, the camaraderie that comes about with Safari Club. You meet such a variety of people. John, when you think about what we've experienced here at Wild Brasca with JJ and Mike and Janet, the entire crew, you have your lovely wife, Robin, with you, who's been on the podcast just a couple episodes ago. Um, what do you tell somebody that's starting their hunting career right now? Let's say you're 19, 20, you're out of high school, you're in college, you're getting ready for your money-making years for the first time, and you can afford that truck and some gas and some decoys and maybe even a puppy. But how important it is to tell that 20 year old kid, boy or girl to get involved with conservation efforts and organizations like Safari club, because it seems like it happens later in our hunting career. As we mature into it, we were like, what Les just alluded to. Oh, it's not about the kill all the time. I'm not saying that you don't go through those maturity stages. It's fun to kill ducks, but there's more to it than that. What do you tell that 20-year-old, 21-year-old boy or girl that's getting ready to, to embark on this career of spending money, harder money and hunting, but it has to be protected by groups like SCI? Well, you know, that's a, a pretty broad, broad statement uh, to answer. Well, I'm going to tell them, become informed, uh, acquaint yourself with people who could voluntarily and happily mentor you. I think mentoring is a very, very big thing. And to preserve 
the integrity and the reputation of uh, hunting, which was a prime resource and necessity for mankind. That's what they did to live. People were hunters. And uh, we've kind of lost sight of that point. Uh, there are a lot of people that uh, hunt for different reasons. And uh, a lot of people think that if you're a hunter, you must really uh, be in the bloodlust and you'd like to kill these animals. Well, that's really particularly, I can speak for myself, uh, that's uh, not the picture at all. I enjoy the animals in every way that's humanly possible. At one time, although I consider myself a, an ardent waterfowler, I had a private collection of game birds and they had uh, uh, an enclosed aviary with many species of uh, ducks, pheasants, ornamental and utilitarian types, peacocks, etc. And obviously I had to love those animals to, you know, take on a burden like that. So that's one phase of a hunter, a real love for the animals. Another uh, is uh, the sheer fact that there's a lot to learn. And I think my good wife, Robin, pointed out that uh, when I first started to mentor her in wildlife, it was uh, a real interesting progress uh, because she did not come from a hunting family and had no exposure to firearms, but through an inquisitive nature and an interest in doing and sharing this wonderful obsessive habit that I have, she went all out to become updated and informed. So when young folks uh, talk to me about hunting, I try to encourage them in every way by telling them, learn all you can. You can learn a lot from books. There's a lot of great books written about hunting, uh, waterfowl in particular, and then also uh, try to affiliate yourself with someone who cannot necessarily formally mentor you, but someone who could tell you things like, well, gee, you don't... Uh, uh, get a gun that you're not familiar with or is too much for you to handle, uh, things of that nature that can be constructive. And, you know, if you really want to do that, I'd suggest that you start with this kind of a weapon and this type of clothing and let them know that you're interested and you're available to help them. I have people and I'm a very modest uh, by nature uh, uh, person on social media, but I have a lot of young people just call and say, gosh, I'd like to talk to you about what I have to do to be able to do what you're doing. And I answer them all. And usually I say, well, you have to create a strong basis for mentoring, obtaining knowledge, and planning how you'll be able to handle the financing of this hunting and any activity, be it golf or uh, uh, skiing. Cost it's money. an expensive process. So you have to tell them, you know, at first you can have a lot of good times and learn a lot by hunting on 
public land. It's more difficult, but it does pay dividends and uh, do plenty of practice, become familiarized with uh, your firearms and hunting techniques, and uh, you'll get there. And that's usually what they need. I've had a lot of people call me back and said, well, I took your advice about uh, uh, hunting a mule deer and I didn't get a very big one, but I got to use my new 270 or 6.5 and uh, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for sharing the information with me. And I think that those seeds are planted and we as senior members and people who have lived a lifetime of hunting, we can uh, uh, water those seeds and help them mature into stronger trees that will become the new hunters in the world because none of us is here forever. And I think it's a nice legacy when you can have a letter from someone said, gosh, thanks for the tips that you gave me on my first trip to Mongolia, which is gonna be in this August. I'll keep you posted. And when you know that you provided information and some forms of guidance, what not to do and what to do, when you know that that's helped a young person, I think that's a form of conservation that's kind of in the twilight zone, but it sure does help to get young people educated in what we're doing, how we're doing it, and why we're doing it. So uh, that's kind of a mouthful, but that's the way it really is. Pretty well spoken, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely. I think I'm going to go and go to bed. <laughs> Hard to follow that up, huh? <laughs> yes, it is. Specifically, what we're experiencing up here in Nebraska, Wyoming border at Wild Brass Outfitters last, the sheer number of geese, the sheer number of ducks, the the amount of activity. I mean, it's hard to fathom that. Like, this is going on. We could be, you know, sitting in a a blind at the Canvasback Duck Club, Nevada, where it might not be as much activity. You know, some years it is, some years it's not, depending on water. But this is going on in this little part, this little tiny corner of America. And this amount of birds, it's pretty awesome to see, right? It, it is. It's something that you don't... Even in this area, you might see it this year, next year, it may be different. I mean, it, it fluctuates uh, depending on the, the agriculture and the weather and everything, but uh, they still get a lot more waterfowl here than a lot of places that you might find. Uh, it just, it's hard to fathom when you look up and see a, a string for two miles of geese up in the air, up and down or all the ducks we saw going up and down the Platte River. You know, I mean, by the thousands. Crazy amount of waterfowl. Do you look at something like the operation that we're being a part of right now with Wild Brassica? Everything from the personality to the blinds to the, you can see the passion and the dedication that's gone into oh, it. absolutely. The relationships they have with farmers and landowners. That, this is a, this is a, you know, a 365 day a year job to make sure that for the few short months of waterfowl season that everything goes according to plan. Uh, would you book a hunt here again based oh, on what you've seen? Absolutely. What, from what I've seen here today and the, and the way it's run and the people that are running are very pleasant. You know, they, uh, uh, they're just, they're just nice people. And, and, uh, the blinds, for example, I, very seldom do you get to go, or at least in what I'm familiar with 
into nice heated sunken blinds. And I've built a lot of blinds at Canvas Pack, and they're not heated, and they're not really the ones that are sunken or, or concrete, and they're a little chilly and usually have four or five inches of water in the bottom. That's not what it's like here. These are, we had what, four heaters in each blind, each five man blind, and your back is nice and warm and your and your fingers are freezing when you get outside. So it's very well done and very well planned out. You know. John, you came up with the idea to put this hunt together. Why, <laughs> why Obraska? Why JJ and his dad, Mike? Why um, do you choose to come here year after year with everywhere you could go visit in the world? Well, it's certainly a combination of wonderful people to deal with their very honest. Uh, they follow up uh, meticulously on every detail of your hunt and they make sure that they know what you want to do and uh, they ask intelligent questions and uh, they're conservation minded, uh, uh, very efficient. And for instance, uh, we had a, a firm booking date uh, that was uh, three or four days uh, in the immediate future. And I received a call uh, from uh, uh, YO's uh, reservationists and uh, uh, Jason uh, Randolph's uh, father. And uh, Mike said, uh, John, we're expecting a big front to come through. And I know you and Robin plan to drive over if there's any way that you could possibly come in the next 15 or 20 hours. I think you can beat that front and you'll make your schedule right on time. We'd hate for you to miss uh, any good hunting days. Uh, call me back. Well, I called in 15 minutes and said, well, uh, we've talked it over and uh, we can be on the road in 45 minutes and uh, we didn't have any children to send to school or any pressing commitments. So we left early. We beat the uh, storm. We got in another extra day's hunting and it worked out very well, but they are professional in every way. They're sober people. Uh, they're well-mannered and intelligent. The follow-up is beyond reproach and as we all say, you know, when we talk about hunting, no two days are alike, and this place is no exception. And there's nothing uh, more concerning to them than an off day when you don't score the on all the birds or the activity you like. But everything else goes so well. When they say, we'll meet at six o'clock, they don't mean 5.30, they don't mean an hour late because we had to get gasoline. They are there. They use their phones intelligently. Uh, they have excellent collections that they can uh, uh, put into uh, uh, works that make everything go smooth. They have good staff, good communication, and uh, uh, I've... Uh, had some hunts that were just staggeringly good. They're all good, but some of them were just outstanding. And uh, there are going to be bad days for everyone. And uh, we had uh, uh, one of our sons up and 
Uh, he brought a friend, and uh, we had an off two days. The birds were there the first day. Big weather change, full moon, and probably a horizontal type uh, uh, migration took place. The birds were not in this area. They were maybe 75 or 80 miles away. So we had a slow hunt, but uh, uh, the good outweighs the bad by so much. Uh, I've always had a wonderful time here, and I've recommended Wyobraska uh, to a lot of uh, people, and I never make a recommendation less, unless I've hunted it personally, and no one's ever been disappointed. You know, no two days are alike, and we simply can't control the weather or the waterfowl, but uh, anything that can be controlled and is controlled, they do a good job on it. What do you think of Robin shooting less? Can she shoot a shotgun? Can she hold her own in a duck and goose blind? Or was it all smoking mirrors and it was John handling that into the blind? Well, you know, I, I, I wish I'd have known you were going to ask this question because I could have really thought about it a little longer <laughs> because there was a lot of problems at that end of the blind. Uh, she was shooting birds right out from underneath me. I'm positive. <laughs> and every time one of the small ones went down, she told me I killed it. The, the lessers? Yeah, whenever, whenever a lesser hit the ground, she said, good shot, Les. <laughs> less, lesser, less of a man. Yeah, it's good. exactly. I think that's some of her statements. Eh, less for lesser or something like that. Less for less. But in, in she's, an outstand, she's an outstanding shot. She, and she, I've even told some other people, as I was talking to some friends back in Reno, I said, man, this John's wife can really shoot. <laughs> she really is a good shot. And I mean that sincerely. She's a awesome shot what did you think this week of the cooking the duck and goose we got to eat john well it, it was really really good stuff and we have to give you a lot of credit for taking on that responsibility and it is a responsibility you know anyone can go in the kitchen and uh, dirty up a lot of pots and plan pans and uh, say, well, listen, guys, uh, this is a little overcooked, or I put a little too much salt on this, but uh, we've had some really superb tasting meals, as they say in restaurant circles, very beautifully plated. It was nothing that uh, was uh, thrown together. It takes a lot of work, and uh, uh, I take my hat off to you for developing the recipes and in that regard uh, we were very very happy and pleased to get a signed copy of your uh, wild game cookbook and uh, Robin has already uh, looked it over uh, uh, quite uh, comprehensively and said boy there's a half a dozen things I want to try in there so we'll we'll be uh, uh, partaking of more goodies but our meals here, we've eaten several times in several restaurants, and without maligning them to any degree, there's a lot of nice people in there, but there's a lot to be desired on the quality of the food, and we had some five-star dinners here, including uh, tonight, and uh, I've had the pleasure of uh, enjoying your cooking on several occasions, and uh, uh, that's a big part about it. You know, if if you said, well, we're going to go out on a 
culinary type trip and I'm going to be cooking some goodies for you guys for a couple of three or four days. You want to come along? Yeah, I would, that's what I would call a gastronomical uh, uh, event and uh, I'd be there. Hell yes. What about you, Les, on the ideology of calling geese? All the geese in the area are decoy spreads in these fields. Do we kill the amount of geese we've been killing without the goose calling, without the audio oh, uh, of the attraction? Absolutely not. I mean, the goose calling is what's bringing the... I mean, we watched it time after time, turning them around. But back into the culinary. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what are we having tomorrow night? <laughs> what are we having tomorrow? Well, and I've had a real advantage because Chad only lives about four blocks from me. He loves to cook, and he knows I live alone, and you know, and he does sometimes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I won't go into that anymore. <laughs> but, uh, so I, I, I am down there usually having lunch or dinner a few times a week. But that being said, and the calling was really good. <laughs> John, in a more serious matter, the goose calling, you enjoy it. Oh, you man. like the calling part of this game. How was the calling this week between oh, Jason and myself? It was really good and, until and Clay. Clay was called. Clay called yesterday as well. Well, uh, I thought it was well done, and you guys have fortunately hunted together quite a bit, and uh, you know how to uh, uh, talk together. One guy isn't saying, "I'm lonesome down here; it's just me," and another guy isn't saying better not come down in here because I'm going to run you off. And uh, another one is saying, boy, there's plenty of food down here. We're just relaxed. So uh, it isn't making a lot of noise on the call. You guys know when to tone it down and when to just make it a murmur. And uh, the thing that I like to see is when you say, well, gee, it looks like they're hightailing it out and they go about a quarter of a mile and they're just steadily going away from them, and, and you hit them with a lot of chatter, and you just see that whole flock just give it a rock, and then downwind, come back in and hit the X. Now that's, that's real fun. That's real fun to watch that or a bunch flying over, and they hear that, and they just set their wings, and you just so see, oh see. boy. They and start to sell on you. Oh, it's That's my right. They just come in, and then you see those big black feet come down. You know they're in trouble. Well, you all can book a hunt here. Yobraskawaterfowl.com. J.J. Randolph. He's the man. His dad, Mike, they're very organized, like Mr. John LaMonaco alluded to. Safari Club International, they're working for all of us behind the scenes daily. I love being part of the SCI family. Can't wait to get to Vegas for the national convention. Can't be, wait to hear Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump Jr. and all of the other special guests bring the smoke. They're going to bring the news. They're going to bring the heat. We have to stay on the gas on this. We have to support Safari Club International because I'm telling you, they are working relentlessly behind the scenes. I don't say that with a grain of salt. Take it serious. Become involved. Become a member. Become a life member. Check them out at safariclub.org. Let's all work together to keep this hunting heritage going strong. Let's stop the inner fighting. Let's get rid of the egos. It's not that hard to kill a deer with a gun 
that shoots a mile. It's not that hard to kill a whitetail from a tree stand with a bow that shoots 400 feet a second. A duck has a brain the size of a peanut. We're not reinventing the wheel here. Let's all drop the egos, work together, support each other, and come together because together we're a lot stronger, and that's exactly what Safari Club is. First for hunters, safariclub.org. For John LaMonaco, Les Nesbitt, thank you so much for listening to the Foul Life Podcast, SCI, Safari Club International's Foul Thoughts. Check out this song right here. This is 2AM Logic. The song is called My Foul Life. (laughs) 